Good morning, West Bowles. This morning we're continuing our summer series on spiritual discipline, something that we're calling swimming in the deep end. Far more than a casual how you doing to a fellow believer, the spiritual discipline of hospitality presents an opportunity to be Jesus to someone in perhaps the most profound or loving or impactful way possible. Our speaker this morning is Pastor Joy Inglesman. Joy is Minister of Church Development at First Christian Reformed Church in Denver. I first met Joy at Denver Seminary. We took a lot of classes together and graduated during the same year. One class in particular I remember taking with Joy was a preaching class. And I remember it because at the end of the semester when Joy preached, she is so obviously gifted in making the scriptures sing. The other reason I remember that class is Joy will never tell you herself, but she is the first woman ever in the illustrious history of Denver Seminary to win the annual preaching award. I remember that because she beat me out, and I don't know that I'm over it yet today, Joy, just to be honest. So no pressure this morning. Sorry about that. When Joy told me that she wanted to speak on hospitality this morning, I couldn't stop grinning. You'll see for yourselves in a minute, but for her to speak on hospitality is truly what's called incarnational preaching. Hospitality is in large measure who joy is. It just pours from her person. And so it gives me great joy to have joy here with us this morning. Please put your hands together with me, Wes Bowles, and let's welcome Reverend Joy Inglesman as together we go swimming in the deep end. you're all wet. (laughs) Thanks for your welcome. It's great to be here this morning. Uh, Normally about this time I'd be introducing my family, but they weren't able to be here today, so I brought along some pictures to introduce you. My husband, Bob, is a biker. No, 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 not that one. Yeah, that's getting pretty close, but he's not quite riding with the big boys who are in the Pyrenees today on stage 14 of the Tour de France. Of course, the only reason I know it's stage 14 is because I have to watch them all because, yes, that is my husband, Bob. Bob took a little bike ride across the state of Colorado last week, Saturday. He started in the foothills of Evergreen and went over Squaw Pass and landed in Idaho Springs and continued from there over Loveland Pass, down into Keystone, around Swan Mountain, down into Frisco, back up again through Copper Mountain, up Vail Pass. Now, by now, it was storming that afternoon storm you might remember from last week's Saturday, pouring buckets along the... But no, they didn't stop. Up Vail Pass, down Vail Pass... 13 more miles into the little town of Avon. Yes, 120 miles, three mountain passes, hence the name of the event, some of you know, the Triple Bypass. Now, Bob's in good shape and was willing to ride all the way west, but after eight hours of biking, for some reason, he wanted me to come and get him there. So my daughters and I went into the family minivan and drove I-70 all the way across to that delightful little town of Avon. 
Have I mentioned how sweet and beautiful the town of Avon is? Yeah, well, I'm sure that the folks of Avon, you know, the locals who live there, are kind and hospitable people on a normal weekend. But when you add thousands of bikers and their families clogging up the roads, well, the scene was, let's say, less than hospitable. All I was trying to do was move from my left lane over to the right lane so that I could get into the visitor's parking lot. But despite my persistent blinker and my gentle nudging of the wheels over the lane line, no one was making any room for me. Well, you know what, it's not just the folks in Avon that drive like that, is it? If you try to merge onto I-25, most times of the day, you think you find room there? How about changing lanes on West Bowles when it's busy? Or, let's see, uh, how about when you're driving behind someone who is shaving, eating breakfast, and uh, texting or talking on the phone at the same time? They don't have a whole lot of room for you on the road either. Nobody makes much room for each other on the roads of Denver and Colorado these days, do they? It's not just the roads. We live in this huge metropolitan area, and yet all around us, maybe even in this sanctuary, are lonely people, people who don't think there's room for them. Ask any middle schooler or high schooler what it's like at their school. Do kids really make room for each other in your school? How about the newcomers that move into our neighborhoods or that come to our offices or come into our church? Do they find a place? Is there room for people? And not even newcomers. Maybe I'm talking to some of you who've been here for some of those 26 years, and you're wondering, too, if you could find a place of fellowship that would allow you to flourish. Doesn't anybody make room for others in this life? That's what Paul was saying to the Romans at the end of his letter to them. And that is our text for today. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to encourage you to open them to Romans chapter 15, almost the end of that letter. He's got one more chapter and then he's done. So Romans chapter 15, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 13. Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We should all please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not build himself up, but as it's written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might find hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude and mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Accept one another, then, as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it's written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And then again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. O Lord, giver of these words, we ask that your spirit might fall upon us this morning. Fall upon my lips that I might speak your word and fall upon all of our hearts that we might hear it. And, O Lord, come into our will as well. For where we might feel the desire to change, we might not choose to. So, Lord, we do submit our wills to you and ask that you would move in us and cause us to change in ways that most represent Jesus Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now I'm wondering if you wondered when you saw the first video about this series. I wonder if you wondered, hmm, how is hospitality a spiritual discipline? I mean, I get prayer and scripture reading and keeping the Sabbath. But isn't hospitality that unique talent of being able to serve a six-course dinner complete with a fancy salad and puff pastry appetizers and beef bourguignon, just the way that Julia Child made it, all topped off with a peach pecan pie, fruit taken from the west slopes? (gasps) Isn't that hospitality? Well, Food has something to do with hospitality, and we'll get to that in a bit. But hospitality is much more than that. How is it a spiritual discipline? It has been one since the ancient times of our Christian faith. But I think we're more familiar with the individual expressions of our disciplines, you know, the prayer and fasting and the ones that are about me because we live in a very individualistic culture. So it's natural for us, when we're first asked to work on spiritual disciplines, we immediately think of the things that are about me and shaping my life. And they are important. But so are those communal disciplines, historic and biblical disciplines of the faith. They include things such as worship, what you do each Sunday together, and service, and hospitality. Human beings created in the image of God are made for community. Just as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are bound together in a Trinitarian relationship, so too People made in God's image are bound together 
At least that's the way it's supposed to be. But because of brokenness that comes in our world through sin, those bonds that connect us to each other have been shattered and splintered. So we need a spiritual discipline like hospitality. Hospitality is the spiritual discipline of restoring community and wholeness in our relationships with other people, with fellow Christians, and with the world. And like all of the other disciplines that we're studying, practicing the the areas of this hospitality will strengthen our spiritual muscles and heal some of the broken places in our hearts and in our world. Now, I'm not sure what some of the issues were in Rome that Paul was trying to address here. I doubt that he was kind of getting after them for having chariot races and knocking each other off the road. I don't think that driving was their issue. Although maybe for us, driving may be one of the places where we indicate most what kind of hospitable people we really are. Just a thought. Paul writes them this long letter to the Romans. This is a new group of Christians, mind you. And we're on chapter 15, right? So he has written them all of this information. The marvelous story of a God who loved them from the beginning and chose them and wanted to make of them his special people. And so he he walks through the whole book of Romans telling the story of Jesus and how Jesus came to save them. It's a theological book. Don't be afraid of that word. It just means it's telling the truth and the love of God. But woven through this book, it's not just theological terms and, and what God does. But Paul asks, will you, people who have been saved by Jesus, will you live in such a way that you resemble this Jesus who has saved you? So for whatever practical reason the Romans needed a few hints, not much has changed in 2,000 years. We too, though we know the story of God's love and we understand the theology, sometimes we need these practical examples. And hospitality is just one of those ways that God forms us like Jesus and reforms his world through us. Neil Plantinga, who's president of Calvin Theological Seminary, puts this so succinctly. He says it this way. Hospitality means to make room for others and then to help them flourish in the room you have made. Making room for others. Helping them flourish and grow. Wow. That's really kind of a different idea than being a really good cook or keeping your house clean or being a jovial host and having people over for dinner. This description of hospitality means all of us are asked to do it. You know, that gift of hospitality, the one that allows you to be good at having people over, well, that's a wonderful gift too. But the spiritual discipline of hospitality is not one that we can put aside and say, I'm no good at cooking. My house is a mess. I'm not very funny. We really don't get any excuses by what Paul puts out in this letter. It's not if. It's will you please God's people. 
practice hospitality, making room for others, helping them to flourish. That seems to be what Paul's talking about here in chapter 15. And as I read it, it seemed to me that there were some distinct images about what that hospitality might look like. Now, meals are are in there. Don't worry, we'll get to that. But there are some other images. And I'm a visual person, so it's really helpful for me to have some concrete images that when I walk away from this place, I'll be able to say, hospitality, I know it was more than cooking a meal, but what was it again? I hope that the images I've chosen for you will help you to remember the very practical ways that we as God's people can practice making room for others. So, in our first image, we see that hospitality looks like a big, brown, round table. Hmm. According to legend, King Arthur, the gallant warrior and the wonderful wise ruler, led a band of noble knights. It was about the 5th or 6th century in Britain, if you believe the legends. Now, among the things that Arthur is most... Did I say that in a good British accent? That Arthur... Did that work there? That Arthur is most famous for, besides that little tryst between his wife Guinevere and his very best knight, Sir Lancelot. We won't go there. Besides that, the one thing that he's most famous for is the round table. We all know the phrase, King Arthur and the Knights of the... Very good. Smart folks here. In the legends, King Arthur changed the political scene of his day. Back then, as is true now, people who were in charge, people who were given ultimate authority, often abused that authority. They could say what they wanted, when they wanted, and it happened, and no one else could do anything about it. It was all about them. Power, power that corrupted, power that resided in one person who abused that power for their own sake. That's what the scene was like. And along comes Arthur with his concept of a round table, a table to which he invited his knights to sit with him. And at that table, Arthur laid down his authority and power and invited his knights. He made room for them to participate in the life that was given there, to make decisions with him. You know, that round table has become a symbol for sharing power even today. So I choose this image for us to remind us that one of the things hospitality looks like is sharing power. Now, you might not think that you have much power in this life, but all of us in our various stages of life are donated a certain semblance of authority and power. We all have areas in which we're in charge of something or over something. And when we practice hospitality, we learn to graciously set aside our power and share it. Where do I get this idea? Romans 15, verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Paul's idea here is that there would be a round table idea in our hospitality. 
Eugene Peterson translates that portion of the verse this way. Strength is for service, not status. Really. What an amazing transformation that might be if we practiced that form of strength sharing. But unfortunately, you and I have all seen how a sinful and broken world abuses power. How so many people, not just people who are in charge of nations or cities or companies, but even people who are in charge of small things abuse that power. We have a term for what it means when people abuse one another all the way down the line. We call it kicking the dog. But as renewed creatures in Jesus Christ, you and I are called to something else. We are called to a hospitality that disciplines ourselves to lay aside whatever positions of power have been donated to us and make room for others. We're not allowed to abuse whatever power has been given to us. Hospitable people know how to use their power with grace and care. A few examples. Bosses and supervisors don't take advantage of their employees, but they make room for everyone in their organization to share appropriately and be well taken care of. Older brothers and sisters don't irritate younger siblings. I'm the oldest in my family. This is to me, too. But we make room for them in the family. Teachers don't ridicule students, but make room for them to make mistakes as they grow and learn. Parents don't exasperate their children, but make room for them to grow and become the kind of people that God intended them to be. Well-spoken people don't dominate conversations, but make room for others, inviting them into the conversation. People with the strength to walk don't take the handicapped parking spots, but they make room for others to participate in the communal life we have by letting them park where it's closest for them to get in. I don't know, maybe you're wondering why I would give you such detailed and picky examples. And of course, we could go on and on. You need to think about the areas in your life where you might have power and consider how this might apply to you. But here's the deal, folks. The ways in which we practice hospitality in the little ways, that'll be a determining factor of how we grow and practice hospitality in the big ways, the ways that'll change the world and change the kingdom. Like I said, maybe it's the way in which we drive that's the first one we work on. And that might change our hearts as we think about others next to us. So our first image here is one of a round table where power and authority is shared. We have a second image. Hospitality looks like... Yum! A pineapple. Wow! I grew up in... West Africa, where parents were missionaries. So um, it's kind of getting on lunchtime. Um, I hope there's a real one somewhere around soon. I'm hungry. When you think about food, you also think about hunger. Now, the, the pineapple has been a symbol of hospitality for centuries. Maybe you didn't know that. 
The Spaniards, when they first came from the Old World over to this continent, learned that if there was a pineapple placed at the path, the entrance to the village, they were welcome to go and visit. No pineapple, no visit. And that symbolism was carried on by those who settled along the eastern seaboard of this nation. Ooh, that's west. That's east. Eastern seaboard of this nation. From the New England coast all the way down to the Carolinas, captains who would return safely from a voyage at sea would take a pineapple and put it out on their front porch. And that pineapple had a message. It said to the area, Come, all of you who are hungry and weary from a long voyage, come, let us eat together. My doors are open. Come on in, food and drink for everyone. So that pineapple now has come down, and it's actually a symbol in our hospitality industries. The hotels and tourism agencies and such use the pineapple as an award system. People who work for hotels are given pineapple awards if they are really good at looking out for the needs of others. In the tourism industry, if somebody stands out at being really good at seeing other people's needs and then taking care of them, well, they get a pineapple award. Romans 15, verse 2. We should all please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. You see, the pineapple image of hospitality teaches us to observe and discern the hungers and needs in others and then provide for them. Building them up and giving them hope, we make room for hurting and hungry people. And the pineapple reminds us to look for those hurts and look for those hungers that we might engage with them and make room for those kind of people and bind up their hurts and feed their hungers. So what might pineapple hospitality look like in our lives? Well, to be honest, it does look like what we've all first thought of when we heard the word hospitality. It might look like a great meal. Families who deserve pineapple awards are those who put a few extra chairs at their table on Thanksgiving, on Easter, on Christmas, on any good day, and invite folks who may not share their bloodline, who may not be part of their nuclear family, but who are indeed family in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they make room at the table for them. I wonder sometimes how our neighborhoods would change if maybe there were a few less six-foot fences and a few more community potlucks on our streets, <laughs> sharing meals together. Could we handle it then when our neighbor puts up some kind of weird-looking flower in the flower bed that we share on the property? Could we love them more because we've shared a meal with them? I wonder, too, how our churches would look if we shared meals more commonly with each other, if maybe someone would say, well, I know that my kids all know each other. These kids go to Sunday school together, and, and some of them are in youth group together, and they all know and love each other, but I don't really know their parents or know how they're connected. Why don't we have 
pizza night at our house and have the parents over? How would that change how we operate as a community of God? Have you ever thought about what it means to share a meal together? What does it mean when someone says, pass the potatoes and you pick them up and you hand them to them? Well, maybe it means that they're hungry and you want to help them out here, give them the potatoes. But it's more than that. You see, food is that thing that nurtures us and helps us grow and allows us to flourish in that world. We all need food to live. And when you share a meal with someone and you pass them the potatoes or you pass them the red jello or you hand them a slice of peach pie, you know what you're saying to them? Friend, I have a special kind of love for you. I want you to live. Here's food for nurturing your body. I care about you and want you to flourish and live and thrive. Sharing a meal is about sharing life with people. But pineapple hospitality, much as it reminds us of food, isn't only about food. Hospitable people anticipate and discern the needs of others and make room for them. So here's some examples. Hospitable people notice the shy or lonely ones on the outskirts, and they open the circle and make room for them in the community. Pineapple hospitality means, back to the roads, noticing that blinker in the lane next to you and not speeding up to see if you can beat him out. <laughs> Slowing down and making room for them in the lane with you. Pineapple awards go out to those who have heard the stories of grief and pain and disaster in Haiti, in Nicaragua, in the Sudan, in Myanmar, and across our world. And these people have opened their hearts, their pocketbooks, their calendars, and shared their love, their money, and their time. They have made room in their lives for hurting people. That's pineapple hospitality. I'm guessing that many of you here know what pineapple hospitality looks like, not only because you live it out, but because it has been lived out on you. Someone in your life made room for you. Someone saw when you were hurt. Someone saw when you were hungry and reached out to you and said, I want you to live. I care for you. Next time you send a thank you note to a person, maybe they'll have to have heard this sermon for it to make sense. Besides the note, maybe a Put a little can of Dole pineapple in their mailbox, too, and say, hey, thanks for showing pineapple hospitality to me, for seeing my needs and my hungers, and for meeting them. So we've seen the image of hospitality as a round table, and now as a pineapple. Our third image today is to see that hospitality looks like an open door. Romans 15, verse 9 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another. This phrase, accept one another, is one that Paul takes very seriously. He uses a Greek term over and over again in his letter, not only to the Romans, but to others. So this is a big deal to Paul. Accept one another. 
The Greek term that he used, now don't get me wrong, I don't remember all my Greek from seminary either, although it would be nice to quiz Todd on that, wouldn't it be? That could be kind of fun. Uh, Some of it just kind of went here and then fell right out here. But this is a word that I remember because it was so important. It's proslambano. You can forget it. But don't forget this, that the word has far more meaning than our understanding of accept. You see, in English, we can hear the word accept this way. All right, then. I accept it. It's okay, honey. You can have them over for dinner. I can accept that. We can read into the word accept. Accept one another, then. Okay, tolerate each other. Put up with each other. That doesn't fit because the next phrase says, the way that Christ accepted you. And tolerating each other is not the way that Christ did it, nor the way that that Greek word means in the first place. That word is full of images of openness to other people. It means to embrace and include others, to open your arms, to open your hearts to others. And that is why the RSV, in this case, does a better job of translating when it says, welcome one another. As Christ welcomed you, throw open the doors of your heart and your home and your life and welcome others in. Making room in an open doorway means that we might be inconvenienced. Throwing aside our own personal agendas, our schedules and our preferences so that we can be open to embracing others and making room for them, well, That's not always the easiest thing to do. And sometimes it's inconvenient and sacrificial for us. Open-door hospitality is sacrificial. It's not about you. It seeks out the best for another and welcomes that person into a fullness of life that they couldn't find on their own. Here again are some practical ideas. Maybe some you'll think of your own for your own life. Blessed are those who sacrifice their pride and let someone else take credit for a project or idea that they were working on together. That's hospitality. Blessed are those who sacrifice their precious time and mentor someone who is in need of hope and an idea for new life. Blessed are those who sacrifice their own personal preference for perfection and make room for children to participate in a project at their own level. Blessed are those who sacrifice their cool reputations and make room for others who need a friend. And one more for the road. Blessed are those who sacrifice a few minutes of their busy time to drive just a little more slowly on the streets of Denver and Avon so that we might make room for each other. Folks, these practical ideas and visual images, I hope will help us practice the discipline of hospitality. Maybe there's thoughts here about hospitality you never thought of before. It was only about the meal. And I hope this summer that you'll be able to do that. But we can't leave here without understanding 
that this notion of hospitality comes to us not from mismanners, but from God himself. Hospitality is embedded in the character of our God. And so our spiritual practices of hospitality are rooted in God's hospitality first shown to us. These images that we saw, the round table, the pineapple, the open door, those images help us to remember what God has already done for us. He has practiced on us. Folks, God made room for us in his heart and in his kingdom. Romans 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Who are the Gentiles? Folks, that's us. We are the Gentiles. And that's why the verses that follow, verse 8, 9, 10, 11, all the way to 13 there, those are verses of praise and glory to God, for he made room for us in his family. We are the ones who were outside. And God opened the door and let us in. We were the ones who were lonely and estranged and had no hope. And God in his mercy and grace sent Jesus to say, I make room for you, my people. In Jesus, you have been hospitably welcomed into the family of God. That's what hospitality means. And we are then to practice the hospitality that God has shown us and rejoice and have hope. And just to show you that God never asks of us anything that he hasn't already done for us, we're going to take a quick trip back through those images and demonstrate how Christ first did them for us. And so we see that hospitality looks like a round table where strength is turned into service. And you know this text. Christ being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something that he should use for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. Christ, who himself practiced hospitality of a round table, laying down the authority that was due to him and saying, I am your servant. He did it. If he practices that form of hospitality, can we? And hospitality looks like a pineapple where the hurting are healed and the hungry are fed. And at his table, Christ Jesus serves us much more than tropical fruit. Jesus sees our every need and in his gracious hospitality offers up himself his body and his blood served for us at his table. And every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, when he says, take, eat, remember, and believe, 
take, drink, remember and believe that the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ were given for the complete forgiveness of your sins. Do you know what he's saying? He's passing the food and saying, live, live, people of God. I want you to live, you who are hurting, you who are hungry. I serve you. Live. Hospitality also, in the form of the way Jesus has practiced it, looks like an open door. A place where sacrifices are made in order to make room for others, in order that others might find life. And our Lord Jesus Christ opened his heart and opened his arms on the cross, making the ultimate sacrifice so that all might be welcomed in to his family. Jesus is the one who has shown us what sacrificial hospitality looks like. And because we know that he has done this and he has given us his spirit to live like him, he calls us, his people, to be hospitable, to love. Not just because it's a nice thing to do, although it is but because in the kingdom of God and by God's calling, it is the Christian and Jesus thing to do. Let us pray. Lord God, our Father, the one who made room for us in his family, we praise you today that we have not been left outside, we have not been left alone, we have not been allowed to go hungry and hurting in this world, but we have been welcomed in to your family. You laid aside your power to, to be with us, Jesus Emmanuel. You have fed us and given us life, and you have opened the doors and opened your arms that we might be brought in Oh, we are grateful. Oh, we love you for this. And Lord, what you need to ask of us now is that we would love you in public and obvious ways so that others would see how much you've transformed our lives. So make us your hospitable people. Shine through us, Jesus. Shine your love into this world into our neighborhoods, into our families, into our schools, into our offices, into this church, Lord God. Shine through us and make this place a place where all can find room at the foot of the cross. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And God's people say together, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand to receive the blessing of God as we are sent into the world. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go into the world and serve the Lord in the name of Jesus. Amen.